as we think about uh, what Christ has done for us on that cross. And Good Friday is a great time to, to stop and remember what Christ has done for us. And of course, by now you already know, it is my practice whenever there's a communion service to focus on that sacrifice. And we're going to do that again here tonight. Um, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19 and work your way toward the, uh, well, somewhat toward the middle of that. It's verse 28 and verse 29 tonight. John 19, 28 and 29. We're going to set our focus entirely on the purpose, why we are here. And we're going to use this, these two verses to uh, think through as we go. Here in John 19, 28 and 29, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Heavenly Father, there is so much that uh, we read of in Scripture that describes the suffering of our Savior, your Son, on that cross. We try, Lord, we try to understand. And yet it's not so much just the physical that we seek to understand. We, we see in this your love as well. For it's because you loved us, you gave your only begotten Son. And tonight we have gathered in this place to remember the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And what that means and why he did that. And we will focus our attention on him and remember him again with the taking of the bread and of the cup. And Lord, I pray that our attention is solely upon you this evening as we study through this text. Uh, show us, Lord, again how deep your love is. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm always mixed with some emotion, I suppose, and thoughts, uh, many mixed thoughts as I come to a communion service. There's almost like two opposite things going on in my mind. The first being how absolutely horrified and embarrassed and sobered to think that he would die for my sin. My sin. Your sin. That he should die for our sin. And to think that that sin of ours brought about his death. That's an incredibly frightful concept. A reality, I know. But there are times when, you know, I hesitate. If, if somebody had to do something for me that I couldn't do myself, and it was very costly, I'd feel just like that, wouldn't you? that I couldn't do anything about it, but they had to step in and do it for me. I, I would I would feel feel so sobered by the act. And uh, yet this is so much greater. <laughs> Somebody died for me. And that is something that alarms me and, and always gets my attention, that he died to pay the penalty that I owed. <laughs> that he died to pay those wages 
that my sin had purchased. For we know the wages of sin is death. So here we have the just for the unjust, just like Scripture says. We, it was not his sin. He took our sin upon him. Scripture tells us that and paid our debt. And I'm deeply humbled by that every time I remember it. Deeply humbled by that. And yet there's another side, as you well know. There's another side in this that there is no greater expression of love, Jesus said, than one would give his life for his friends. And that kind of stops me in my tracks too, to think that I'm his friend. That he loves me. That he calls you friend. And that he loves you. Scripture says we're, we're joint heirs with Christ. We're called brothers. That's, that's incredible. That he should think of us as that. And, and that he would love us so. And offer his life so willingly and so thoroughly on our behalf. That, that excites me a great deal to think that somebody should love us so. It, it fills me with great joy um, just to be counted among the saved. Just to, to uh, know that I've been rescued from the chains of sin. Just to know that uh, I've been granted eternal life. Just to know that I, I'm holding all the blessings, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies are mine in Christ Jesus. The promises that he's made to the folks that are called the children of God, they're ours because of Christ. I'm deeply honored by that. So you can understand the two emotions when they come together at a communion table. When we think of what Christ has done for us. He, remember, he, he told his disciples that one phrase, and I know I bring this up often when we're here, but he said, remember me. And I still say, how could we have forgotten? But he says, remember me. When you, when you do this, remember me. He handed them the bread, remember? And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, we've been doing that now. Generations of the churches have gone through, and we've been doing that for 2,000 years. Remembering Christ. He's promised He's coming again. And I like that part too. All these things come together at a communion table. And tonight we're going to take a closer look at the cup. At the cup. The words that we just read uh, in this passage Jesus on the cross, knowing all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there. They put it on the sponge and they put it up to his mouth. Something in this picture I, I want to be able to communicate tonight. Back in Luke chapter 22, we have the record of Jesus at this table just before his, his arrest in the garden and before his trial and before his crucifixion, it says he took, in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We're very mindful of that phrase, aren't we? He took the cup and he offered it to them. And I've been thinking about a cup here in my, in my preparation 
I thought of how often the phrase cup or drink actually does appear in the story of the sacrifice of Christ. You're aware as well, I know, when he was praying in the garden, he asked something of his father. He wrestled with something, didn't he? And what was that? It was a cup, right? And he said those simple words, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And if not, not my will, but your will be done. Then we find in John chapter 19 here, verse 28 and 29, the statement that Jesus says, I thirst. Now, there's been a lot of studies over the years about uh, the seven last statements of Jesus from the cross. And I don't know if these are necessarily in order, but I think they're pretty close. The first one he said as they nailed him to the cross and raised it up and set it in its post, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a prayer that is. Why they just start their mocking of him. That he is praying that the Father forgive them. Do you think the Father listened to that prayer? Think that through for a minute. That's incredible, isn't it? Second thing we believe he said. I know he said it, but whether it's second or not, I don't know. There was a lot of mocking going on. And remember, there were thieves on either side of him. And they started in on the mocking too. And as one started to really get wound up in the mocking, the other one all of a sudden told him, you know, that phrase, uh, he's done nothing wrong, we deserve what we're getting, but he's done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Christ and he says, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. And, and you know what Jesus answered to him. He said, today I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Hmm. There was, there was a little comment uh, I found in a book I was looking through. Consider the contrast at that moment concerning this thief. In the morning, the thief was nailed to a cross. In the evening, he was wearing a crown. In the morning, he was an enemy of Caesar. In the evening, he was a friend of God. In the morning, he was spurned by men. In the evening, he was fellowshipping with angels. In the morning he died as a criminal on earth. In the evening he lived as a citizen of heaven. A moment at the cross came to know Christ as Savior. The third thing, as Jesus was there, he sees his, his mother and he sees John the disciple. And you know what he said to them. He turned to John and said, Behold your mother to his Mother Mary, behold your son. What a, a thoughtful thing. What a precious thing that he remembered his mother there even at the cross. Uh, later in the day, for he was on that cross about six hours, somewhere between the, the middle of that time and toward the end, it was dark, remember? It became dark for about three hours and while he was there on that cross in the dark, we believe sometime around then, a voice rang out and said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And it's interpreted for us, thankfully. 
My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What, what a haunting sound that had to have been there to hear it from the cross in the dark as he cries out those very words that God his Father had turned away from him. That was the first time in all of eternity that had ever happened. And of course, Jesus had the weight of all the sins of the world on him. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53 that it was a crushing thing. The Lord was pleased to crush him. Those are powerful words. And in that, the father turned away from his son. On the heels of that, we believe this phrase was said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. We're going to come back to that again. But the last two that follows it, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then the last three words, it is finished. I always like it when pastors say, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He came to accomplish the will of his Father. And he accomplished it perfectly, didn't he? Down to the last moments on a cross. The debt of our sin was paid. And Jesus died. Now we'll go back to that fifth statement. I am thirsty. I thirst. Are you aware that there was another cup offered to Jesus when he approached the cross? Go back with me to Matthew just for a minute. Matthew 27. Putting together the gospel uh, records is fascinating. I always enjoy doing that. And here in Matthew 27, verse 33, we have this little passage that Matthew recorded for it. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him. Of course, they put a scarlet robe on him, and you know what happened there, where they, they beat him and mocked him and all the rest going on. Down to verse number 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. They gave him a drink here. Mark in his gospel, tells us the, the, the drink was a mixture of wine and myrrh. You say, myrrh? That doesn't sound pleasant at all, does it? Wine and myrrh. Myrrh was, uh, as you know, typically associated with death. Remember the three gifts brought to Jesus when he was born? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when we sing the old... Uh, we Three Kings song, this is, a, this is a very solemn verse. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume. Speaks of death, a gathering gloom. And uh, they considered myrrh to be associated with death. They used myrrh to embalm a body, including the spices. They mixed myrrh into a, the spices as they would wrap a body as they buried it. Now, what a, what a picture that is, just for starters, to, to hand somebody a cup of something that represented death as they're about to die. That's a, ooh, 
<laughs> you know, there's no mercy in that picture at all, is there? But more than that, myrrh was considered a, a uh, type of a drug that deadened pain, that uh, quieted people. And it was almost to the point where the, the, the soldiers were, you know, this was their business to crucify people, and they just didn't want to put up with the screaming and yelling the whole time. And so they would offer them this drink as they would approach the cross, and, and it would quiet down the uh, uh, folks nailed to crosses. And Jesus refused that cup. He would not take that cup. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that, I'm sure. But he wanted the clear mind. And he was going to suffer the fullness of the suffering. And Jesus went through that for us. He turned down that cup that was offered to him. And then, as you know, he was nailed to the cross and there uh, intensely suffered for six hours. Now, that's not the duration that some people might experience a cross. They said there are some that even were able to live for two or three days on a cross. Jesus wasn't here to set a record on duration. He suffered intensely. And he suffered more than anyone else ever crucified, for he was suffering for somebody else's penalty. And he added to it not just the physical, but the emotional and the spiritual Suffering added to that too. No one else had ever endured such a thing and nobody else ever will. But as we try to fathom that, the full scope of torment and pain, we can mostly come up to a, a, a tad on the physical aspect of it. The, the cause we know, the bodily pain, the exhaustion, uh, very clearly we are, are not... Um, we are not questioning that Jesus Christ was 100% man as well as 100% God. He suffered as very man on a cross, physically in every way. See, thirst is added to that. Thirst is added to that. It's one, as one commentator said, the, one of the most distressing circumstances attending a crucifixion. Thirst. The wounds were, were highly inflamed, of course. Uh, raging fever uh, was caused usually by the suffering of the cross. And that came with a thirst that could not be quenched. We've been thirsty before, haven't we? We know the, at least a small degree of what thirst is like. And, and we've always found relief that, you know, there was that that drink waiting for us, that we can get to it, and we find refreshment there. But the agony of parched lips and even a burning throat, and perhaps even in a raspy way saying, I thirst. They're on a cross. The last drink Jesus had actually taken was the night before at the table with the disciples. That's a long time to go without anything. And he had suffered all night long. As you know, they didn't even give him a moment for rest or sleep. They tortured him throughout the night and moved him from place to place and then took him to a cross. And there he's on this cross. 
Alexander McLaren said these words, and I thought they were well written. The same lips that said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, said this. Infinitely pathetic in itself, that cry becomes almost awful as it appeals to us when we remember who uttered it and why he bore these pangs. The very fountain of living water knew the pang of thirst that everyone that thirsteth might come to the waters and might drink, not water only, but wine and milk without money or price. And A.W. Pink, love reading his works. This is what he adds. He that had caused the waters to flow from the smitten rock for the refreshment of Israel in the wilderness had the same infinite resources at his disposal now that he was on the cross. He who turned the water into wine by a word from his lips could have spoken the same words of power here and instantly met his own need. Why then did he hang there with parched lips? Hmm. A cup. A cup. Just to receive a, a, a cup at this time would have been a, a touch of of mercy, a touch of compassion. Wouldn't it have been to offer him at least a sip of something that he might have his throat dry, his, his mouth wet, perhaps uh, his, his thirst, thirst quenched? But consider again what John has written here concerning this cup. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. What a very unpleasant offering this was to him. Some say, as I've read many commentaries on this section, the purpose of this drink, this sour wine that we read of, was actually to prolong life and to increase the torture and the pain. It was meant to heighten the senses. Something like taking a, a, a sip of vinegar was like taking a smelling salt. It revived the senses, and, and uh, the Roman soldiers enjoyed giving that to them when they were at this point. Other commentaries said, no, it was just a cheap, sour wine used by soldiers. Matter of fact, a lot of them do say that. It was just the cheap, sour wine that uh, was used by soldiers. But I, I had to think that through a little bit, and I thought... If I was a soldier, is that what I'd want to drink when I go to work? Is that what, what I would take in my thermos to, with me if I went to work? Why would they want to drink vinegar? Which is the equivalent of what you see here, sour wine. More logically, it was meant to torment than it was to satisfy See, I, I thought this through as, as uh, this jug was there. And John brings it up. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. They brought that on purpose. They set it there to use with persons crucified. Because they not only had the jug, but they had the, the reed and they had the hyssop and the sponge. Roman soldiers don't need that to drink out of a jug, do they? So it was designed for a reason. Sour wine 
designed for this purpose. Plus, that jug had been sitting there a while. Add to it that it's warm now. It's not even refreshingly cool at all. Perhaps even if there was no lid on it, guess what? Dust has settled in it because you've got all these people around there and of course the whole scene of the crucifixion, you've got dust. Do we know anything of dust? Dust could have easily been mingled in with it. And not only that, but who was hanging up above these jugs? Those being crucified. And perhaps even some bloodhead had mingled inside as well. Does that sound very refreshing to you? Does it sound like a nice thing to offer somebody in need of, of a drink? Sour wine. Sour wine. I, I don't think that it was meant to be refreshing. I think it was meant to be almost mocking them at the point of absolute thirst. They give them the most unpleasant cup they can think of. There was a uh, lingering kind of death here, tormented with thirst. And what a joke it had to have been for them, because Roman soldiers weren't ever known to be compassionate (laughs) in this. If you're going to make somebody crucified, why would you refresh them? So it's a very unpleasant drink. Now, I gather some of that, not just from trying to imagine what that must have been like, but also there's a comment, a comment that John makes concerning uh, fulfilling of Scripture and the phrase, I am thirsty. And I go back in in the scripture to think, well, which verse is that? It comes from Psalm 69. And if you read through Psalm 69, you're not going to find it one of your top, most pleasant psalms. It's not one that you really want to start your morning with, because we call it an imprecatory psalm. And this psalm was asking the Lord to crush the enemies. That's not a very pleasant way to start your day, is it? Crush my enemies, Lord! Take care of them, move them out, get rid of them. But all the way through that psalm, the the writer is also saying, this is what they're doing to me. This is what they're doing to me. And almost every other verse, he brings up something very unpleasant that they do to him. And these are the words, and listen to them. uh, In Psalm 69, uh, uh, 20 and 21. There's a bunch of torture in here, but listen to this. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am so sick. I am looked, I and I looked for sympathy, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. And they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Does this sound like a crucifixion to you? There's no sympathy there. There's no comfort there. And when I needed a drink, they gave me vinegar. What an unpleasant thing that is. Unpleasant thing that is to offer him such a drink. What have we offered to him? What was the cup that we handed to him? I'm going to be a little figurative here for a few minutes. But picture at that table, just the night before, when he's around his disciples, he gave to them a cup, didn't he? 
take this cup, he said, and drink from it. And he handed them this cup, and, the, and this cup represented all the glorious and beautiful and wonderful things that he's going to do for them. In that, he gave them a cup that, that represented his precious blood, as Peter calls it. Precious blood. Jesus offers to us forgiveness of sin. Isn't that refreshing? He offers to us a clean conscience. How beautiful that is. He, he, he offers to us a restored relationship with God. He offers to us access to the Father. He gives us all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly. Every cup that Jesus ever offers to us is full and overflowing. Isn't that the way he describes it in Psalm 23? My cup overflows. Hasn't everything from him been like that for us? The kind of thing that he should offer to us has always been good and glorious and wonderful. And we have been refreshed by it, haven't we? We have been refreshed in it. And in contrast, our offering was like a cup full of sour vinegar. Our offering was a cup that Jesus even asked his Father to let it pass by unless it was his Father's will. And it was his Father's will. Our offering to him is a bitter cup that does not refresh. There is no relief in it. There is no value in it at all. It was warmed with indifference. It was mixed and mingled with the filth of this world. A very unpleasant thing we gave to him. And I'm deeply humbled by that. Embarrassed by it. As I think that through. And yet he took that cup, didn't he? This is the picture of it. He took what we offered. He took what we earned. He took it all upon himself. When we think of Jesus suffering on a cross and saying, I am thirsty, and they gave him the worst drink they could think of, I think, Lord, you did that for me. You did that for me. How do you express that kind of love? John Wesley he wrote it pretty well. He asked in a series of questions, four of them actually, can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And you know what his answer was? Amazing love. Amazing love. Folks, this evening, we think of the death of Christ, don't we? We've come here for that purpose. To just focus on the death of Christ. This is a reminder of it. We have bread... We have the drink, the bread representing the body of Christ that was broken for us. He told us that, right? 
And we partake of that. And we realize as we partake of that, that this isn't his body. His body was already broken for us. And as we partake of that, we remember he broke his body for us. And then the cup will be passed and we'll take that and we'll look at that too. And though it's just a a drink, it represents blood that was spilled for us. A, A cup that he's handed to us. And it stands for forgiveness. And it's the new covenant of his blood. And, and we take of that too. And we remember these things. But every time Jesus offered those cups, he said, and that bread, he says, this is for you. This is for you. And I want us to have that focus here this evening as we take together of these things. Remember who it was for. Why he did that. And what he did. To show us he loves us.